Part 1, Chapter 10, Three Questions Be still, or else be killed, commanded the Sphinx. It may be that you are to die, but not before you are weighed. Weighed? Asked Ajax. What do you mean? Three questions to sift the worthy from the chaff. Answer well, and you are free to go as you please in this fair city. Answer poorly, and find your life's end. So sphinxes really do ask questions, said Ajax, fascinated. If he was afraid, he did not show it. I always wondered about that in the legends. We're lucky you're the guardian. Another type of creature might have just killed us on the spot. The Sphinx paid no heed to the boy's strange optimism. First, it said, a riddle to test your minds. The dead, when buried, made alive, wingless, taking to the sky, not to descend until it's time to cook our supper by and by. The children in Talavos puzzled over the riddle for some time, thinking of what sorts of things flew but didn't have wings and came to life after dying. The Sphinx sat stone still, its hard face observing. Ajax had heard stories of men that should have died but never did, who instead drank blood and turned to bats at will. He'd dismissed the notion, since bats had wings, and he'd never heard of such a creature cooking supper for anyone. Cassandra thought of witches. She'd heard they could fly on broomsticks, although Zagora had never talked about a broomstick before. Some witches in stories might have raised up skeletons to serve them and cook dinner in cauldrons, but a witch didn't feel like the right answer. The part about never coming down stumped her. The witches in stories didn't spend all of their time in the air. Talavos had been turning the riddle over and over in his head. He drifted, slowly twirling in the air, letting his thoughts wander, then reining them back in. He hoped this might act like a fisherman's net and catch the answer for him. He thought of earth and sky and people and animals, of day and night and life and death. He felt the answer painfully close, almost tickling him so obvious it would be when at last he found it. Suddenly, he burst out laughing and said, Of course, it's a tree. The Sphinx gave a single nod of its head and said, A second question to test your hearts. You are on an island with a wise old man and a woman who is pregnant. There is no food on the island, and whoever remains on it will surely die. You have a boat that will hold only two people. Who do you save, and who do you leave behind? It was Ajax that answered the question, and quickly. There's no need to leave anyone behind. The old man and the woman could sit in the boat, and I would swim alongside them. The Sphinx's eyes narrowed as it gazed at Ajax, but it nodded all the same and said, The final question is one of your ability. It produced two objects and set them down before the children in Talavos. 
One was a cube made of bronze, and the other an hourglass with running sand. Present to me the gold inside this box before one hour is up. Ajax picked up the bronze cube and examined it. How is this a box? There's no lid. How do we open it? He shook it next to his ear. It doesn't feel like there's gold inside. It feels empty. The Sphinx said nothing. Ajax slammed the cube down on the street, hoping to break it open. But after many attempts, the cube had not a single dent. Talavos, try dropping it from up there, he said, pointing to the sky. The wind sprite took the cube and flew high into the air, far enough from the children so that there was no danger he would drop it on one of their heads. They watched the bronze cube plummet, glinting in the sky, and crash down on the street. It bounced and went careening off into a mess of ruined houses. It was a quarter of an hour then before the children managed to find the cube, and they decided not to try dropping it again for fear of losing it. Besides, there was no more of a dent in the metal after the fall than after Ajax's attempts. Cassandra had been silent and thoughtful as Ajax and Talavos tried more rudimentary methods. She was convinced by now that the box was magic, and it would be up to her to figure this one out. She took the thing in her hands and shut her eyes. The metal felt cool on her skin. She felt something else as well. The charge of magic in the very makeup of the box. Shh. I need quiet. She told Ajax and Talavos, who were discussing the possibility of crushing the thing beneath something heavy and were trying to come up with something heavy enough to crush it, but still light enough that they might be able to move by way of leverage. After they stopped talking, she quieted her own mind and tried her best to listen. What would the box's magic tell her if she listened? Fire was the easiest of the voices to pick out. It was there, somewhere, angry, ready to be set free. She thought she heard wind, too, a lost and lonely breath. It had been stolen from its flow eons before and given a task. Yes, she was sure now that Wind was the gatekeeper, though why anyone would choose Wind as a gatekeeper was beyond her. It was probably the least suited for the task. But maybe that was the point. Maybe the box wasn't supposed to be so difficult for one with the gift of magic. She decided first and foremost to let fire out, to shut it up, and see if she could hear the rest from there. Come out, she told the fire, and the box burst into flames. She dropped it and watched as the flames made the bronze melt and flow away in glowing streams. That done, Cassandra expected fire to take its leave, but most annoyingly, it stayed and she realized she would need to recruit the talents of water to send fire on its way. She had not seen a well or fountain in the city yet, and decided she'd probably be better off just doing it with magic anyway. Come, rain clouds, douse this stubborn flame, she willed. A swirl of air came on, and then a little gray nimbus, not much larger than Talavos, materialized and started to weep its heart out, drenching the cantankerous fire. The flames sputtered and tantrumed like an angry toddler, but fizzled out at last. 
When she brushed away the crust of blackened char, the layer beneath gleamed like milky quartz. The box was still an impregnable cube, lacking hinges, joints, or lid, but there was now a single breach in its fortifications, a keyhole. Cassandra peered into the hole, but saw only darkness. The Sphinx had not provided them a key. Cassandra shut her eyes again and listened. Wind was trying its best to be a good gatekeeper, but it was terribly suited for the task. It wanted so much to join the wind outside, to be free. Unlock the box then, she told Wind. Unlock it and join the air out here. Wind seemed overjoyed at this. A rushing breeze tore past them. It whipped Cassandra's hair and even tussled the Sphinx's feathers as it came. Into the keyhole it whistled, creating a terrific clamor inside the box until a click was heard and the milky quartz crumbled away. Now Cassandra held a plain box of wood and brass in her hands. It had hinges, but where a keyhole should be, there was only a blank brass panel. Seeing the wood, Ajax seized the box and was about to dash it against the stone again when Cassandra stopped him. I think I can open it, she said. Something in Cassandra's heart wanted to come out. She didn't know quite what it was, didn't understand it, but the last thing she wished to do was stifle it. She took the box in her hands and stared into its wooden face. She felt the impulse to draw it close, as though she might kiss the place where the keyhole should have been. A strange feeling came over her. She'd only felt it once before, the day she'd heard Philip reading from the spellbook, and she'd somehow read along. She opened her mouth and in a whisper said, The box responded with a shiver, and the crease of a lid began to glow like metal in a furnace. Runes of the same enchanted light appeared, scrolling round the box's wooden faces. In the place where the keyhole should have been, there appeared a symbol like a sun. It was formed of glowing shapes like spearheads, all pointed inwards. The spearheads broke apart then, pulled back toward the edges of the brass, and shifted sideways to form a jagged hoop of sorts. Click. The box popped open. Splendid work, Cassandra, said Talavos. They peered inside the box, and all but Ajax were surprised to find no gold inside. I knew it, said the boy. The box felt empty. There's no gold in there. Still, the Sphinx did not respond. Motionless it sat, like a carved stone image of itself. The hourglass was running out. They had ten minutes left at most, and the puzzle still unsolved. It's not empty, said Talavos. He reached into the box and picked up a tiny speck of something from a corner. It was a dull gray teardrop of crude ore, perhaps iron or lead. It's not gold, though, said Ajax, watching the sand in the hourglass anxiously. What are we going to do with that? It's part of the puzzle, I'm sure, said Talavos. It looks like a teardrop. What do tears and gold have in common? 
It's not a teardrop. It's a seed. Cassandra. It looks like an apple seed. Haven't you ever heard of golden apples? Yes, in legends, said Ajax. But if you're going to magic that seed into a golden apple, it has to be fast. We're almost out of time. Cassandra took the seed in her hand. The sand had nearly all drained out of the hourglass. Only minutes to perform what alchemists spent lifetimes trying to achieve. Transmutation of a lesser metal into gold. She breathed deep, clutching the seed tightly in her hand. Grow, she told it. Grow into a shimmering tree to bear us golden fruit. And quick, we're almost out of time. The seed husk split in her hand and let out a twisting sprout. Down around her upturned palm, the roots spilled, cascading to the earth below. Upwards climbed the tree, sprouting branches festooned with leaves. Soon a silvery tree of living ore stood tall as Ajax, and a single blossom splayed its snowy petals. Just as quickly as it sprang up, the flower wilted, withered, fell away, and in its place swelled a golden fruit. No sooner had the golden apple matured than Cassandra snatched it off the branch and presented it to the Sphinx. This was in the nick of time, because at that instant, the final grain of sand spilled through the hourglass. Well done, said the Sphinx, its eyes gleaming as it took the fruit. You have given answer for my questions. You have proved your worth. You are free to wander this fair city now. Before anyone could say another word, the Sphinx had leaped into the air and winged itself away. I wish it would have stayed long enough for us to ask if it knew how to bring Philip back, said Ajax with a sigh. I suppose we'll just have to... He stopped short, and Cassandra, drained from the exertion of growing gold, staggered and nearly collapsed. He caught her. Cass, are you all right? Yes, I'm just so tired. I feel dizzy, she said. Ajax lifted her in his arms and carried her to the nearest home. Inside, he found a couch of burnished bronze, its woven base still intact and strong. He laid Cassandra down upon the couch and uncorked the water skin to give her a drink. Talavos flitted through the house, exploring it from ceiling to cellar, and when he returned, he held a dark crystal bottle in his hands. They opened it and found it filled with deep red wine. Ajax tasted it and found it was still good. It must have been preserved by some enchantment to keep this long, said Talavos. The cellar is filled with bottles like this. The wizard who lived here must have loved his wine. They rested there and had a meal. The bread was stale, but Ajax ate some anyway and washed it down with wine. He gave the last apple to Cassandra and a bit of cheese. She ate them hungrily and drained the water skin and started on the bread and wine. It seemed that growing gold did much to stoke one's appetite. When she had eaten her fill, Cassandra shut her eyes and fell into a deep sleep. Talavos and Ajax sat together on a bench of carved marble, gnawing hunks of bread and washing it down with wine until the bottle was empty and the city outside was growing dark. They didn't speak. 
The journey's weariness had caught up with them at last. Talavos curled up on the armrest of the bench and watched the room with heavy eyes, dreaming, half awake. Ajax thought he looked something like a lazy cat from that perch. It was the last thing the boy remembered before he lay his head against the wall and drifted off himself. The sky was gray with swirling clouded morning when they awoke. Cassandra's eyes were bright after the night's sleep on the couch, but Ajax had a crick in his neck. Talavos, after a catnap, had spent the hours of night and early morning searching out food and drink. He presented them with a clutch of walnuts, pears, and black figs to break their fast. He had also filled the water skin. There are streams of clear water cut right into the street, he said. I found a few of them last night. They're all fed by two springs farther in the city. I also found a grove down the lane full of fruit and nut trees. The children thanked him and set to cracking walnuts on the stone-tiled floor. It was tedious work, and before they'd shelled a dozen, Ajax said, Let's save the rest for later. We need to push for that seven-towered palace and the well. They contented themselves with fruit and a handful of walnuts each. Talavos tossed the walnut pieces in the air and flew to catch them in his mouth. Soon Ajax was trying to do the same, but dropped more than he caught. He did not give up easily and picked up each piece to try again until he got it. They walked along the silent streets, passing two of the streams that Talavos had mentioned. One was wide enough that a bridge had been built to span across. The other was no more than a trickle, and they crossed it with a hop. Sometime, probably after midday, though no one could be sure because the funnel cloud's walls blocked out the sun, they saw three towers looming up in the distance and Talavos confirmed it was the seven-towered palace. Ajax tore off in a sprint, and when Cassandra and Talavos caught up, he was already inside. The girl and the wind sprite passed through the tall, arched doors, through the entry hall, and into a larger room with vaulted ceilings. Spiral staircases wrapped the walls, and high above, the frescoed ceiling showed a scene of men and women, wizards by the feats of magic some performed, congregating round a throne. The figure on the throne had been chipped away, and only a pair of sandaled feet remained of the lost monarch. Cassandra took the picture in. The wizards were doing all sorts of magic. She spotted one man cupping a flame in his hands. He had probably been able to speak to fire just as she could. There was a woman with a wand who seemed to be turning herself into an animal Cassandra had never seen before. It looked something like a spotted lion. There was another man sitting on the shoulder of a giant made of stone. She wondered, could he have been the one to give the giants an agrosti life? Or had he merely learned to tame them? Ajax's shout rang not far off, and at the other end of the room, a doorway led out to the courtyard, 
It was dense with plant life, a garden left untended for many lifetimes. They took the trail Ajax had blazed, through vines and waist-high grass, around a great thorned rosebush decked with dry brown blossoms. They came into a clearing and found Ajax standing before what had to be the Well of Infinity. Its rim was made of veined gray marble, carved in the likeness of the Ouroboros, that ancient coiling serpent. Its eyes were polished onyx, slashed with veins of gold. The well was large enough to swallow up ten men at once. Its waters, if they could be called that, were strange. It was deep blue and flecked with stars like the evening sky. As the children peered into it, the stars grew brighter and the blue became more black. Cassandra heard Talavos say something, but she didn't want to tear her gaze away. It was too beautiful. She drew closer to the blackening sky within the well. Infinity beckoned. I wonder, murmured Ajax beside her. He leaned into the blackness and fell headlong into infinity. From the corner of her eye, Cassandra saw him disappear. Then Talavos was at her side. He too was gazing into the well. Cassandra steeled herself and made ready to follow Ajax. She'd felt a tinge of fear when he'd gone in, but intrigue was taking over. She leaned forward, eyes fixed on the void. A voice rang out, shouting in her mind. It sounded far away like an echo from a dream. But she knew at once that it was Philip. Cass! Don't! 